You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. This morning we are going to be continuing in our sermon series through the book of John. And so we'll be in John chapter 8. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. So if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to go ahead and turn your Bible to John chapter 8. Uh, now, I wonder how many people in the room this morning would say that you have a really, really embarrassing story. Right? I love watching people's reaction because everybody has a really embarrassing story. Uh, right? And, and, and many of you all know what it, me- what it feels like to be really embarrassed, right? Where you just wish you could like close your eyes and disappear because you can't believe what you've just done. Right, and I have lots of embarrassing stories. My wife knows a lot of them. Uh, but one was the first time I ever preached uh, <clears throat> publicly. So in a setting like this, I stood up here and I started preaching, and all of a sudden I started feeling lightheaded and I completely passed out. <laughs> I just fell down on the stage. It was game over. Right, very embarrassing. You can't like run away from that one. <clears throat> so maybe you felt what it what it feels like to be really, really embarrassed. In fact, it'd be really fun to just kind of go around and hear everybody's stories. Maybe we'll do that another week. But uh, another feeling that, that probably many of us have had at one time or another that's a little more serious uh, is, is the feeling of shame. <clears throat> I don't know if, if anyone here has, has had the feeling of shame and, and the feeling that, that you know you've done something wrong and, and you've been discovered, right? You, you've been exposed and and what you thought was hidden now, now is exposed to the public. And, and people know the real you, the you that you try to kind of keep under wraps. And you experience this feeling of shame. And, and this feeling of shame is incredibly powerful emotion, right? And in fact, it can be incredibly damaging. Shameful experiences, being exposed and, and feeling the reality of that uh, can be incredibly damaging for people. Maybe some people lose relationships. Uh, as a result of shameful experiences, people uh, have lost jobs uh, over these kind of experiences. If nothing else, losing other people's respect. And, and so when you, feel, when you know that feeling of shame, that, that you have done something wrong and you are exposed and other people know it, it's a, it's a terrifying thing. And, and this morning we're going to look at a passage in the Bible uh, with a woman who is experiencing this very damaging, difficult emotion of shame. And so... If you would turn to John chapter 8, once again, we're going to read the first 11 verses. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for 
your word to us. God, thank you for the goodness and the truth that you have provided for us. Father, I pray that this morning that, that our, uh, our hearts would be open just to receive your truth. Uh, Father, I pray that, that, that my words would, uh, would be pleasing to you. And Father, I pray that you would just use this time to make us more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, so to kind of set up the scene, we've, we've been talking the last few weeks about how Jesus has been going around and he's been doing miracles, he's been teaching, and there is uh, this large group of religious leaders who want to kill Jesus. They want him dead. And so there's this incredible buzz about Jesus. And so everyone knows who he is. And so when Jesus comes into the temple, which would have been the most public religious place, everybody wants to hear what he has to say. Everybody wants to know what it is that's causing so much discussion and and making certain religious people so angry. And so Jesus sits down to teach. So in this this context, uh, they wouldn't stand like I'm doing. The teacher would sit down and people would stand around them. And so Jesus sits down and begins to teach. And it says that all the people came around him, right? So everybody wants to know what it is that Jesus has to say. And so they're all gathered around him, this large crowd, and they're locked in. They're focused on what Jesus is saying. He has their undivided attention until they hear the woman scream. You see, this passage tells us that while Jesus is teaching the Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders, the men who were prideful, that wore the religious robes and looked down at those who were sinners around them, they had gone and they had had gotten a woman. And this woman was in bed with a man who was not her husband. And they literally caught her in the act of adultery. And they grabbed her out of the bed. And they drug her down the street, publicly exposing what she had done. And they brought her into the temple, into this religious place with all these people gathered. And they took her and they threw her in front of Jesus. And this is the context that we're looking at as we jump into this passage. And so there's several things that that I want us to see, several principles that I think we can learn for our lives today from this passage of Scripture. The first thing that we see here is the destructive power of shame. The destructive power of shame. And the first thing we see about this destructive power of shame is that shame causes us to believe lies about ourselves. Shame causes us to believe lies about ourselves. So, so here's, how, here's how sin works. Sin will entice us, right? It, it is attractive to us. And so we see something in a, in a sinful desire that we want, right? And, and we see the gloss and the attractiveness. We see the outside of the apple. But what we don't see is that underneath that, there's poison, right? And so like a mouse into a mousetrap, we take a bite and suddenly the lever slams down. Suddenly, it's not as attractive anymore. Suddenly, we are trapped in sin and we realize what we've gotten ourselves into. And what happens is Satan loves to use these times, these opportunities, when we have fallen into sin to expose us. He loves to, to, when we think we're in sin that nobody else will know about, he loves to throw the doors open and expose to everyone the sin that we have committed And the reason he loves to do this is because he knows that he can use that to to display the power of guilt and shame in our lives. And we see this with the woman in the story. Clearly she had followed sinful desires and she was 
caught in this sinful action, but they didn't just let her remain. They wanted to expose her, right? They took her and, and dragged her outside and wanted everyone to know, including Jesus, that this was a sinful harlot. They said, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. They're saying there is no question about what this woman has, has been doing. We have seen it. We have witnessed it, which is kind of messed up, right? That they were watching as this unfolded. But then they say to Jesus, in the law of Moses, we're commanded to stone such women. And when they say such women, what they're saying is such terrible tramp, failure, disgusting, despicable people like this. And that's what they see. They, they see this woman, and we can hear in their voices and in their accusation and their condemnation, we can hear the voice of a serpent. Because this is exactly what Satan loves to do. Right? He loves to fill your mind with the voices of accusation. His name, Satan, actually means accuser. And this is what he does best. He accuses us of sin. And so he wants to fill your head with thoughts of accusation. With thoughts like you're such a failure. You're such a loser. You're so worthless. You are unlovable. And he loves for us to think these thoughts and to, to take them in. I remember when I was in elementary school, uh, there was a girl named Jaylene who was in my class. And uh, this Jaylene had some facial deformities that made her look very different. And, and I literally remember every single day when she would come into class, people would make fun of her, right? People would, would make faces at her to, to represent what they saw, and, and they would tell her how ugly she was. And this was a daily process. And you could literally see how daily just it would break her spirit. And she would hear these, these words and she would, she would hear the, the things that the people would say about how ugly she was. And over time, you could just watch as she began to believe these things. She began to believe that she was defined by her appearance and she was defined by the words that these kids spoke about her. In the same way, Satan wants us to listen to his voice of accusation. He wants us to listen and listen to that voice until we begin to believe that it's true. We begin to think thoughts like, I am a terrible person. God could never really love me. God doesn't even like me. And I want you to know if that's something that you experience or you have experienced, I want you to know that is the voice of Satan who is lying to you. He is doing what he does best and he is accusing you so that he can fill you with guilt and shame. But we see not only does shame cause us to believe lies, but second, shame causes us to run away from God and others. You see, when we fall into sin and when we begin to experience the feelings of guilt and shame, what's our response? We want to be as far away from God as we can. Right? We want distance from God. We, we feel this shame, we feel this guilt, and we don't want to be in the presence of God. And that's exactly what Satan wants. And maybe you deal with this in your own life. Maybe, maybe you recognize that after I fall into sin, I know that I feel this guilt and this shame, and I don't want anything to do with God. And, and so I don't want to pray. 
and I don't want to read my Bible, and I don't even really want to come to church because I feel this, this incredible guilt and shame, and it keeps us from God. So what do we do about this? What do we do about this guilt that we experience and the shame that we experience in our lives? And this is where the good news of this passage comes into play. Because not only do we see the destructive power of shame, but next we see the freeing power of grace. We see the freeing power of grace. And we see that that experiencing the love of the Father empowers us to be free from condemnation. Experiencing, having a real experience of the love of of God for us empowers us to be free from condemnation. We see in verse 5, they say, In the law Moses commanded us to stone such women Now, what do you say? You see, these men thought that they were going to trap Jesus. That's what they were doing. This whole thing was a setup, right, from the beginning. And so they think that they have Jesus in an impossible situation, right? They think that any way that he answers this question, he will lose. Because if he says that they should not stone her, that they should let her go, what are they going to say? They're going to say, well, he's against the law of Moses, Right? The law of Moses tells us to stone such a woman. So, so if Jesus is against the law of Moses, then he is a heretic and he deserves to die. But if Jesus answers the question the other way, and he says, yeah, go ahead and stone her, they will paint him to be a ruthless, unmerciful judge. They will say that he is not uh, the savior of the world who has come to show grace and mercy, but he has come to bring judgment and blood upon the guilty. And so they think that Jesus cannot have a right answer to this question. And so they're pushing him and they're saying, come on, Jesus, give us an answer. What should we do? And it looks like Jesus has lost control of this situation. right? It looks like these Pharisees have taken over, that they are in control. But we see in his response the incredible wisdom of Jesus. Because he doesn't directly respond to their question. But he does something that would have been very odd. He kneels down in the dirt and he actually begins to write with his fingers. Now we don't know what Jesus actually wrote. A lot of commentators say different things. Some say that Jesus was writing different sins in the, in the dirt. Some say that he was actually writing the name of the Pharisees' mistresses in the dirt. Right? But nobody knows. Right? He could have been playing tic-tac-toe. Right? We don't know what Jesus was doing. But that's not the point. Because Jesus... Uh, when it had looked like he had lost control of the situation, he does something to take back control. You see, all eyes had been on first this adulterous woman, and they'd been focused on her. And then all eyes had moved to the Pharisees who were challenging Jesus, saying, come on, Jesus, give us an answer. But when they see a man who kneels down and writes in the dirt, right, all of a sudden all the focus is now on him. What is he doing? What is he writing? And that's exactly what Jesus wants. He takes control of the situation, and when all eyes are back on him, he stands up and he says this. He says, as they continue to ask him, he stood up and said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Let, let whoever, whichever of you Pharisees that are out here with rocks in your hands, right, whichever one of you is without sin, go ahead and be the first one to throw a stone. You see, these Pharisees 
saw the law as something that they could use as a weapon to judge other people. They thought that they were superior to the law, that they were above the law, and the law was to be used to judge and condemn people like this woman, people who were clear sinners, people who were adulterers, people who were outside of their superior standards. But the problem is, is that they missed the complete point of the law. And the Bible tells us that the law of God is a mirror, right? The purpose of the law of God is not to be used as a weapon to judge and condemn others. The law is to be used as a mirror to look back into our own heart. And what the law does is it, re- it reveals to us the perfect character of God. And it shows us the expectation uh, that God has of his people, the perfect standard that God has for his people. And when we look upon the mirror, it reflects back to us our own sinfulness and rebellion. How many of you all have been at a restaurant or, or been to a party and you walked into the bathroom? And when you walked in the bathroom, you turned and looked in the mirror, you saw that you had some big nasty thing in your teeth. Or, or maybe you saw you had like some sauce or some like mashed potatoes on your chin or something like that. Anybody ever been there? It's happened to me way too many times, right? And it's so embarrassing because you're like, oh my gosh, I've been talking to all these people. And this is so embarrassing. But you didn't know, right? Because you didn't have a mirror. But as soon as you saw the mirror, it showed you what was wrong. It showed you what was out of place. And this is the same concept of the law. The law is to expose our sin and to show how we fall short of God's perfect standard. But you see, what the Pharisees did is, is, is they separated public sin from private sin, right? And they saw this woman's sin, and listen to this because I think we do the same thing. They saw this woman's sin as a public sin. And they saw the law as bringing judgment. They saw her as a despicable person, but... They saw their sins as private, right? They had respectable sins. Their sins were done outside of everyone else's vision. And they separated the two. And I think we can do something very similar in our own lives. When we see someone who has a lifestyle that is far more obviously wrong, right, that is far more blatant and exposed, or when we see somebody who falls into sin, and it's a public sin. It's exposed to everyone. We can be tempted to point fingers judgmentally and look down upon them. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, that is our spirit, is what would it be like if our sins, our private sins of the heart, the things that other people don't see, what would happen if those were exposed to the world? You see, this is what Jesus knows about these men. Jesus looks at their hearts and he knows that they are just as sinful as this woman. And this is what the gospel shows us as well. Because the gospel shows us that we are all sinners and we all deserve hell. There's, no, there's not two categories of people. There's not good people and bad people. right? There's bad people and Jesus. And if we're not Jesus, we're in this other category, right? And we, if we are Christians, we understand that we have only been saved because of the grace of God for us, not because we deserve it, not because we're good people. And so if we truly understand that, that we are sinful people who are only saved by the grace of God, we should be the least judgmental people, right? We should not be the people who scream and point fingers at other people's sins in judgment, 
We should be people who lovingly go to them and, and express, we understand, right? We are sinners too, and we have experienced salvation through Christ. It's not that we minimize sin, but we call other people lovingly to trust Christ and experience salvation just as we have, right? We're not superior or above anyone to look down in judgment. And so as Jesus looks at this group of religious leaders, each of them holds a rock in their hands, and they're ready to throw them in judgment at this woman because she is against the law. And Jesus says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. And then in verse 8, we see once again, he bends down and begins riding in the dirt. And then in verse 9, but when they heard it, when they heard Jesus' words, when they heard his response, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. You see, they knew. (laughs) They knew they were sinners. Because everyone is sinful before God. And so when they hear Jesus' response, they realize they are not the judges, right? They are sinners just like her, and so they drop their rocks and walk away. But not only does experiencing the love of the Father free us from condemnation, but we also see that experiencing the love of the Father empowers us to be free from the bondage of sin. Experiencing the love of God frees us from the bondage of sin. So uh, how many of you all have been pulled over going considerably faster than the speed limit? All right, all right, lots of people. Second service, it was literally like everybody. I was starting to get concerned. So if you've been pulled over and you're going faster than the speed limit, like way faster, not like five miles over, right? What is the experience like sitting in your car waiting for the officer to come up? You know, it takes like 30 minutes, and I think the officer's like finishing up a crossword or something. Like, I don't know what takes that long, but then all of a sudden this guy starts coming up, and you know you've broken it, right? You know you've broken the law, you're guilty, you got no hope, right? You're, you know that you're going to get a ticket, and your monthly income is going to be a lot smaller, right? And so you feel the queasiness in your stomach, you're angry at yourself, why did I, why was I driving so fast? And you're angry at the cop. Why was he hiding in that place that I couldn't see from the road? Right? And you're ang- but you're anxious and you're waiting for this to happen. And I think in a much more serious way, this is the, the, the anguish, the feeling that this woman would have been experienced. Because all of these men have left. But now she's alone with Jesus. And he actually is the one who is without sin. He actually is the one who could rightfully judge her and throw a stone. And so she knows she's guilty. She knows she's exposed before him. And so she's asking, what's about to happen? Will he add to the voices of accusation of the Pharisees and scribes? Will he stone me and judge me? But instead, Jesus responds with these incredible words. Hear this. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now this is an incredible picture of the gospel. And I think in order to understand how incredible the words of Jesus are and how incredible the gospel is, we need to see the order of Jesus' words. Because Jesus doesn't say what we would say, which is if you stop sinning, if you clean up your act, then I won't condemn you. Right? He starts 
with the acceptance, the freedom from condemnation, and then cause her to a change of behavior. And this is where, please hear this, this is where the gospel is different from any other religion in the world. Because every single religion in the world has, has some concept uh, of earning your way to earn God's, whatever that God may be, acceptance. And so there's, there's rules that you keep. There's a lifestyle that you keep. There's things that you do to, to somehow appease this God. But it's based upon your works. It's based upon your lifestyle. But the gospel flips this on its head. J.D. Greer, pastor in Raleigh, North Carolina, of the Summit Church, says this. He says, God's acceptance is the power that liberates us from sin. It is not the reward for having liberated ourselves. God's acceptance is the power that liberates us from sin. It is not the reward for having liberated ourselves. And I think it's huge for us to really understand this truth. And, And it's totally against our natural way of thinking. Right, but we have to understand, and many of us, we, if we're honest, even we're Christians, we read the Bible, we come to church, but we live our lives on a daily basis the way we think is that we have to please God to earn his love or to keep his love. It's how we live. But the Bible tells us very clearly salvation is a free gift that's not based upon anything that we do, but based on everything that Jesus has done for us. And it is only by experiencing that free gift for us that we have the ability and the power to actually change. It's only by first experiencing the free gift of God's love that we have the the power and the ability to really change and break free from the captivity to sin. See this in Romans 2.4 which says that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. The kindness of God. Not the, the judgment or the condemnation of God that leads you to repentance because we're scared into it. But no, he says the kindness of God, right? It entices us. We, we experience his love and his grace and his kindness. And that leads us to repentance. It leads us to want to change. And as Jesus looked at this woman who was clearly caught in sin, right? She was clearly caught in this lifestyle of sin. She was exposed. She was experiencing shame. Jesus knew that she could never be free from the bondage to sin of, of adultery until she first experienced the love of a man, the love of a father that was greater than what she was seeking in the arms of this man. She could never have the ability to break free of the idolatry that was leading her into this sin until she experienced the love of a father that was greater than what she was seeking for in the arms of a man. And I want us to think about this. Like, why do we sin? We're, we're really good at it. Like, we do it a lot. We practice a lot. So why do we sin? What is it that causes us to sin? And if I'm, I'm answering for myself, the reason I sin is because I'm seeking after something. There's some type of emptiness in me and this, the sinful temptation tells me that, that I can receive what I'm lacking, what I'm missing out on from that sin if I'll give in. And, and then I won't feel this emptiness or this desire anymore. 
So, so we're trying to fill some void, right? That's, that's ultimately why we sin. That's the motivation, and it can take all kinds of faces and forms. So if that's true, then the only way for us to stop falling in is to experience the overwhelming fullness that satisfies us and stops us from constantly seeking after sinful things. The only way that we can stop constantly looking for, for fulfillment or, or for, for something to fill a void or emptiness is to be so overwhelmingly full and satisfied that we're no longer looking to these sinful things to fill us up. And the only way that we can experience this, that we can really experience this freedom from sin is by being overwhelmed, by being full with the reality of God's love for us. To be filled with the overwhelming truth that the God who literally created the universe loves us individually, not just generically, individually. He loves us so much and he accepts us fully and completely, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. In order to break free from sin, you have to be, you have to be grabbed, you have to be overwhelmed and, 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 and just in disbelief that the God of heaven would literally leave heaven in the person of Jesus to come and rescue you. And when you really believe that personally, you experience God's love for you personally and his acceptance for you personally, then suddenly you begin to lose your appetite for sin. When you are so full with the goodness and grace and love of God that, that settles into the deep recesses of your soul and fills you up with joy and gladness and love, sin begins to lose its appeal in your life. But I think it's important that we recognize that we have to first have this experience of God's free love, his free grace, before we can change our behavior. Because trying to stop sinning or trying to change your behavior without first experiencing the free gift of God's love is like trying to drive a car without gas. Right? It's impossible and it will just leave you frustrated. And so if that is what you are trying to do, recognize it's a hopeless cause. Because you have to experience the fullness of God freely pouring his love into your heart to fill you up and give you the power to begin to break free from sin, to begin to change the way you behave because you're no longer seeking other things because you have all you need in Jesus. And so this is, this is what Jesus says to the woman. In this order, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. You see, this woman had heard a lot of voices in her life. She had heard the voices of the religious men that were condemning her. She had heard the voice of Satan, right, that was accusing her, that was filling her with shame. But now she hears a much different voice, a voice of love and forgiveness. And I think there's a question that we have to ask in our, in our own lives is, what voice are we listening to? 
Because we all have this. We all have people who speak words of condemnation. We all have the reality of Satan filling our head with accusations and thoughts of worthlessness. But we also have the voice of our Savior. And the question is, are we listening to his voice? Do we hear him say the words that he said to this adulterous woman, neither do I condemn you? If we are in Christ, that is the voice of God to us. We see it again as Paul writes in Romans 8.1, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do we believe that? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And my prayer is that in my heart and in your hearts, that the loudest voice that you hear against the voices of accusation and judgment that you would hear supremely and over and above all the voice of your Savior's love and grace for you. The next and final thing that we see in this passage is that experiencing the love of the Father empowers you to find a new identity. You see, this woman's identity, the way that she lived and operated, the way that she viewed herself, the way that other people viewed her was completely wrapped up in her sin and shame. And so she got used to people treating her a certain way to the point that she began to act according to that, right? So her full identity, the way that she viewed herself was wrapped up in her sin and her shame and she was used to getting treated accordingly. But we see that Jesus treats her very different because he doesn't reject her or shame her. He gives her acceptance And how is that possible? Because this woman, I mean, this sin was real. The the point is not to minimize sin, but how was it possible for Jesus to look at this woman in her sin and offer her acceptance and grace and love? And the reason is because Jesus took her shame upon himself. See, just a few days after this, Jesus would be the one that was being drugged through the streets by the religious leaders. And as this woman was exposed publicly, so Jesus would be nailed to a cross to be exposed naked to the world. With a crown of thorns upon his head, he was ridiculed and mocked. But the difference is that this woman was able to walk away. This woman was able to leave and to keep her life. But Jesus didn't walk away. Because he took the punishment and the death that her sins and each and every one of our sins in here this morning deserved. He died in her place and he died in our place. I want you to think about this fact. The Bible tells us that Jesus became our sin. That he took our sin and our shame upon himself. And I want you to think about that. The the sins that are the deepest, darkest sins that, that you don't even want to think about. That you pray that no one finds out that the sins that bring you the most disgust. And you realize that Jesus took those and he became that sin. He took the full shame and disgrace of that sin upon himself and he took the punishment for it on the cross. And in exchange, in exchange for our sin and for our shame, he offers us his perfect righteousness. 
You see, when God looks upon you, if you are in Christ, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, he does not see your sinfulness and your failure and your shame. He sees the perfect obedience of his son, that you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. I want us to hear some verses that, one of them we've already heard, but I want us to, to think about if we really are believing these verses, these truths in our lives. The first one is 1 John 1, 9, which says, if we confess of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, not some all, unrighteousness. Second is Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you believing those? Are you living according to those verses if you are a follower of Christ? A few years ago, there was, a, uh, there was an NBA championship game, and as, as typically happens at the beginning of NBA championship games, uh, you have someone who comes out to sing the national anthem. And in this particular game, uh, there had been a contest that this, this girl named Natalie had won. And so she got to sing the national anthem at an NBA Finals game. And so there was a packed out arena and there were literally millions of people watching on the television. And so she walked out to center court and she picked up her microphone and she began to sing this beautiful rendition of the national anthem. And she sang a a few verses and then all of a sudden she began to stumble. She began to lose the words. And you could watch as her face was just overcome with fear and she completely stopped singing. She hung her head in shame. It was an incredibly miserable moment. But then one of the coaches, a man named Maurice Cheeks, who had been an NBA player, he comes off the bench and he walks out to the center court. And he puts his arm around Natalie And he begins singing the words of the national anthem. And he's looking into her eyes and he's encouraging her. And slowly she begins to recover. And they begin to sing the national anthem together. And you can hear the voices of the crowd grow louder and louder and louder. Until all of a sudden the entire arena is singing this national anthem. And celebrating in joy. And what looked like would be a horrible story of shame and embarrassment was turned in to an incredible story of rescue and grace and joy. And I think in small part, this is a picture of what Jesus does for us. You see, we are all hopelessly lost in our sin. Jesus does not leave us alone. You see, he comes from heaven to rescue us and he takes our sin and our shame upon himself. And instead of our shame, he offers us forgiveness and hope and life and joy. You see, the blood of Jesus is enough to cover the most heinous, horrible sins. And so anything that you've done that you feel like is just too much, I want to tell you that the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to save and forgive you for that sin. So whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, I want to tell you today that because of what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross, 
if you will trust in him, regardless of what you've done, you can hear the words that he said to this adulterous woman. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And so if there are any of you here today who know you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, we would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus and to be saved. We have a room called the prayer and care room and we have people there that would, would love to talk with you. But maybe, maybe there's some of us this morning, maybe more of us this morning who, if we're honest, we were, we, we've been listening to the wrong voices. We feel distance from God because we've been listening to the voices of shame and accusation. We've been defining ourselves by these thoughts and what we need to do this morning is to listen to the truth, to listen to the voice of Jesus ringing loud and clear over above any voice that's going through our head. And so this morning, we're going to have a time to respond in song. And my hope is that through this time, we would feast, we would experience in a, in a fresh way the love of God that's available to us through Christ, who says, neither do I condemn you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Father, thank you for the fact that you have not left us in our sin and our hopelessness, but that you came and you lived the life that we all fail to live. And Father, you died the death that we deserve to die in our place. And then you rose from the grave so that you could live in us. And Father, that is our desire. God, if there's anyone who does not know that hope of salvation this morning, I pray that they would turn from their sin and trust in you. But for the rest of us, Father, I pray that we would listen to your voice. And Father, we're thankful for the grace that is available in you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.